am glad that you're here today. I hope you brought a Bible with you, and I hope you can turn to Colossians chapter 3. If you didn't bring a Bible, maybe you can scoot next to somebody who has one. And uh, if you can't find Colossians, somebody else can point that out for you. Colossians chapter 3. Last week we were talking about one of the reasons why Paul wrote this letter. Obviously, the Holy Spirit inspired him. But there was a reason why Paul and the Holy Spirit wanted to address the subjects in this letter is the church in Colossae was struggling. They were struggling with Gnosticism, with people who prided themselves on like beating their body down and, and, uh, and disavowing. So, you know, the Gnostics would have been appalled at the breakfast that I ate yesterday. <laughs> My wife was too. Uh, but but the, 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 they, they were shocked, and, and they, would, they would say, oh, you have to have extreme self-discipline in order to be right with God. And then they had all these man-made rules. They added to God's rules. And they didn't just add to I mean, the Pharisees already did a pretty good job of adding to God's rules. And then the Gnostics came in and added more and more and more. And it was almost impossible to follow the Lord. And see, it got our attention or got their attention away from Jesus Christ and onto what I'm doing in me. And should you be self-disciplined? Yes. Should you avoid certain things and pursue certain things? Yes. But the focus needs to be your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why? See, what the Gnostics left out, or what they got wrong, was the why. It wasn't so much they were doing everything wrong. It was the reason they were doing it. They were doing it to earn God's pleasure. There's nothing you can do to earn God's pleasure. You receive Christ as Savior. After you receive Christ, then you can live in a way that pleases Him. But if you don't trust Christ and receive salvation by grace, God's never going to be pleased. The will of the Father is that we believe on the Son. And so in Colossians chapter 3, Paul comes to kind of a concluding argument that he worked through in chapter 2, and then he expands upon it. Chapter 3 and verse 1, If ye then be risen with Christ... Who is he writing to, believers or non-believers? Believers. Believers. Risen in Christ. How many of you feel risen in Christ this morning? How many of you are risen in Christ this morning? Some mornings you really feel like it, some mornings you don't. Christ said, you belong in heaven. That's where your home is. That's where you belong. Your citizenship is in heaven. So, if you then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above. Since you already have a place of belonging in heaven, pursue those things. Not necessarily just heavenly things, but noble things, honorable things, things that would be approved by the Lord God. Seek those things which are above, and particularly not noble things on earth, but also those things that are above where Christ sits with the Father. So you should live in a way that tries to bring glory to the Lord. Live in a way that shows you have the things above. 
Is the PowerPoint not working? Oh, okay. Oh, I'm sorry. Didn't give you your cue. Va values of lasting value. There, there's the cue. Um, uh, and and w don't don't go beyond this. I just wanted to know if it was working when we get there. So, um, Christ cares deeply how you live, but He cares more deeply why you live. Illustration: We just had an offering, All right? Now, we're going to ask how much you gave so we can see who gave the most this morning, and then we'll clap for them. Okay, ready? For next week, we're going to have a competition. Who can give the most? We did that in Awana, didn't we? It was, it was pile of pennies night. And <laughs> Benjamin on Friday had to take 95 pounds of pennies down to the bank. They were thrilled to receive those. <laughs> Next week, maybe next year, we'll pile a silver dollars or something so there's not, I don't know. Uh, but, but see, the Pharisees had contests like that. The Pharisee, when a Pharisee was giving a large offering, he'd have trumpeters go before him. Here's the offering by Tim Pennock, chairman of deacons at Victory Baptist Church. Everybody go, Christ cares why you do things. The reason why needs to be rooted in your relationship with Christ. After salvation, seeking to bring him pleasure. Not earn his pleasure, but after salvation, seeking to bring him pleasure. So seek those things which are above where Christ sitteth on the right hand of, the, of God. Set your affection on things above. This is like your spiritual thermostat. Set your affection, your desires, your drives, your focus on things above, not on things on the earth. We get so easily distracted by life on earth. We should focus on the Lord and heaven and our longing there. It should affect how you spend your time, how you spend your money, how you interact with other people, how you drive your car. It should affect all of your life. Verse 3. For you're dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then yet shall ye also appear with him in glory. Mortify, therefore, put to death your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, covetousness, which is idolatry, so much sexual sin and greed in our culture, and that's exactly what Paul's writing about here. Put that away. As a believer, don't pursue that. He wrote to the church in Corinth, he said, some of you used to be caught up in the, that lifestyle, but Christ has saved you, and now you're out of that lifestyle, and you're pursuing him. Verse 6, for which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience, in the which also ye walk sometime when ye lived with them. Have you thought much about the wrath of God? Our world loves the love of God. Christmas, everybody loves Christmas. Why? Because a cute little baby in the manger. Who couldn't love a cute little baby, right? Uh, Jesus isn't a cute little baby anymore. He's a grown man. When he comes back to the earth, he's not going to 
be a little baby. He's going to be a conquering king. The world doesn't like that so much. The world doesn't like Easter because it's the wrath of God poured out on Christ on the cross. But they love Christmas. In fact, Halloween is more valued in our culture than Easter, in American culture. How do we have values of lasting value? Well, I want to share with you a few values as we'll, we'll read further in this passage in just a moment. Uh, just four values of lasting value. The first is a powerful example. A powerful example. We're supposed to focus on the Lord Jesus Christ. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. Set it on things above where Christ dwelleth. So Christ is our example. And how did Christ fulfill the will of the Father, stay close and connected with the Father? And I understand he is God the Son. But in his humanity, he also had some limitations. He suffered with hunger, with cold. He, he suffered with um, friends who didn't understand him and, and aloneness. And he had agony in his prayers sometimes. There were other times when he laughed and had joy and rejoiced in his spirit with friends. So Jesus' human life was very human, 100% human, even though he was also 100% God. So we look at Jesus' life, and no, you can't walk on water like he could, although that'd be totally cool, wouldn't it? I had a trouble walking on snow yesterday, let alone walking on water. Uh, but uh, we, we can't do those things that he did. But we can follow his example and incorporate some things from his life into our own. Let me give you some illustrations of that. First, Jesus had an intense personal knowledge of the word of God. From the time he was 12 years old, he understood the word of God. It may possibly sooner, but it's documented in scripture. At 12 years old, he could confound the teachers of the law and the scribes, and, and they were amazed at how much this kid knew. Um, we had a Q&A time yesterday, and and uh, they asked some questions, and Ben answered a couple of the questions. The guy said, whoa, this kid's really on it. Well, yeah, he's in my Trek club, right? He's in Ben's Sunday school class, so we're indoctrinated. No, it's great. You can learn the Word of God as a kid. You don't have to be old and gray-haired, although it does help. Um, over time, you learn God's Word better. I can remember when I was on making a visit 30 years ago. And I was visiting with an older pastor, and we're, we were out visiting this person, and the person had some questions, and, in, and the questions, it's like the pastor would just quote from Scripture or turn to Scripture and show them answers they could have. And I remember sitting there thinking, wow, how do you get a knowledge of the Bible like that? And then a couple years ago, I was visiting with somebody, and they had questions, and I'm sharing answers with them and looking at the Scripture with them and showing them, and I thought, Wait a minute, it doesn't happen overnight. It's not like you go to Sunday school and, Oh man, Tim, I learned so much today, I never need to go back. No, you build on it. It's not, I learned that one verse, now I get, it builds over time. So as you daily get into God's word and you're reading and you're studying and you're meditating on it, 
thinking it through and how it works in your life, that's where you gain that understanding that builds over time. And if you're younger today and you're frustrated because you don't know more of God's word, give it time. If you stay at it, you'll learn. Even if you're older and frustrated, you don't more. Stay at it, you'll learn. You don't learn as fast the older you get. You don't learn as fast as you did when you were younger, but you can still learn. You can teach an old dog new tricks. They're just not quite as tricky as they used to be. So learn God's word. Jesus knew it, and so he had confidence when he conveyed it and lived by it. Secondly, uh, Jesus had a daily focus on prayer and fellowship with the Father. How good would your personal relationship be with your spouse or your parents or your kids or your best friend if you never talked to each other and you never listened? Good, good. I looked around, didn't see anybody elbowing. That's a good sign. You're listening a little. You can't build a relationship without having a relationship. Jesus calls us into a relationship with him where we read his scripture and his spirit speaks to us and and we talk to him in prayer and we listen to his answer in prayer through the person and work of the Holy Spirit. If I asked you to share three or four of your most fervent prayer requests from the last week, would one of them be, thank you for this food? (laughs) Or would it be serious spiritual concerns that you're taking before the Father? People you're praying for their salvation. People you're trying to witness to, you're praying that God will give you opportunities. You're praying for wisdom and direction and discernment. Are you connecting with God in prayer? Daily. Listen to what Oswald Chambers said. The lasting value of your public service for God is measured by the depth of intimacy in our private times of fellowship and oneness with him. So, last Thursday night we had Awana. I don't know how many kids we had here, a bunch of kids. Uh, Lots of workers working. Uh, This afternoon, when we're having the afternoon service about 1.30. The Journey Club's going to be meeting over there. See, that public service, the, the band members up here playing music for the glory of God, Jim leading songs, Kathy playing the piano, a different people reading scripture. Your public service for God is measured by your private devotion with God. Can God use anybody? Absolutely. He's awesome God. He he can use a rebellious prophet named Jonah to cause a revival in Nineveh. God can use anybody. But he chooses mostly to use those who are most dedicated to him. And Jonah could have had a greater ministry if he had chosen to walk in obedience to the Lord instead of rebellion against the Lord. So, daily focus on prayer and fellowship with the Father in the name of the Son. Thirdly, absolute commitment 
to obedience, an absolute commitment to obedience. There's a little picture on the screen there, a person heading down the road, walking down the road of life. Absolute commitment to obedience. You know, kids, if you develop that habit in your life as a young kid, it helps you so much later on in life. If you learn the habit of obeying your parents and choosing to obey them quickly and rightly, then it sets you up for blessings later on in life. See, there's people who are my age who still haven't figured out whether they're going to obey the law or not. And, and it causes all kinds of problems. They have dozens of decisions to make every day that I don't have to make because I made that decision a while back. The younger you are when you choose to walk with God, the easier it will be. God evaluates your obedience on a pass-fail scale. We like to think, you know, hey, I'm, I'm not... An A plus yet, but you know, I've, I've moved past C. I'm above average, right? I'm, I'm maybe a B minus or a B. I'm, I'm above average, but God doesn't grade on that. He grades on pass fail. Are you obedient or not? It's not obedient or almost. There is no almost. Almost is not. It's almost impossible to obey him all of the time. But have you oriented yourself where you're pursuing that habitually? Obedience. Jesus did. He repeatedly said he wasn't here to do his own will, but the will of the Father. And even at one point when he said, Father, I wish there was a different way. If, if it be possible, let this cup pass for me. Nevertheless, not what I want, but what you want. Even when his heart wanted to not obey, his spirit made him obey. Are you developing spiritual self-discipline? A fourth way Jesus is a great example for us. He's, he developed spiritual conversations with the people he interacted with every day. How do you turn a conversation to spiritual things? You know, I was uh, yesterday morning in a parking lot in Prescott Valley. I had a conversation with a guy who was riding a motorcycle. Did, did you get my voicemail that it was 30 degrees when I made that voicemail? I had just finished making that voicemail when I talked to this motorcyclist who's out there riding when it's 30 degrees. He had a long beard and it was kind of crystallized. And, and uh, I was talking, I said, you're a serious rider when you ride when it's this cold. And he said, yeah, he said, I've been questioning that for the last 10 minutes. <laughs> And then he pulled off and he parked. And, and we talked for a moment. And then I walked away. And after I walked away, I thought, you know, I never even tried to introduce Christ to that conversation. And, and all through the day, I wondered, well, what could I have done differently? How could I have brought Christ into this conversation? How could I have introduced spiritual things? Because, I mean, he was a, a rough-looking guy and... You know, we had this brief moment, 30-second interaction. About 11 o'clock last night, I thought of what I could have said. It's a little late. But I could have said, you know, my wife and I always thought, when you ride a motorcycle, you've got to be right with God. Because he's the only one that can keep the two wheels down and you up. 
because uh, lots of crazy things happen out there on a bike, and you've got to trust the Lord. I could have said that. I could have mentioned that I always thought riding a motorcycle is the best thing for your prayer life. Because you pray the whole time you're riding. I love riding. I'm sad that I can't anymore. But you know, you know what I'm talking about. You're always praying. Oh, thank you, Lord. For, whoa, that was close. Uh, I could have, but I didn't. So Jesus habitually did. And I work at it. I, I try and strike up conversations with people. And hopefully you're working on that too. But Jesus did it always, all the time. And we can learn from his example and think things through. And I'll tell you, the next time I run into a guy on a motorcycle and it's 29 degrees outside, I'm going to talk about the Lord. And Jesus did that in his life. One last little thing that he did. He helped others grow in their relationship with God. He was concerned enough for the souls of men and women that he had those awkward conversations about religion about spiritual things, about values, about hell, about judgment, about truth. He, he had those awkward conversations with people. And to bring them to God and then help them grow in their relationship with God. So we have a powerful example. Uh, when the Apostle Paul writes to the church at Colossae, uh, set your affection on things above. It, it's not just, hey man, can't wait till we get to walk on streets of gold. <laughs> Can you imagine how great the meals are going to be in heaven? Do you think we'll all be vegetarians there? We were in the original creation of the earth. If we are vegetarians there, we'll love it. It'll be great. It'll meet every need. We'll be thrilled. I, I, it just doesn't seem like in heaven we'll have to slaughter animals to get our food. Although, <laughs> I kind of like that on earth. <laughs> anyway. Um, <laughs> in heaven, with the Lord, we're, we're going to... But, but focus on Him. And focus on His life. And what Jesus did was something miraculous called the Incarnation. Bringing God into humanity. Now that's the big I incarnation of Jesus. You and I get to do the little I incarnation of Christ. We bring the Holy Spirit of God into our lives as we interact with other people. We set our affection on things above. And then we try and do, last week when I said, uh, was it last week when I said the prayer? Okay, you know, the prayer, even so come Lord Jesus, might be the only prayer we could always pray and it would be right. <laughs> I got rebuked at lunch. One of our church members, who happens to be my wife's daughter, said, <laughs> What about, um, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven? Can't we always pray that one? I'm like, Yeah. Okay, so you can do that. Thy will be done. That's what Jesus did. He brought God's will down to earth, and we can do the same thing. We can bring God's will down to planet earth. And we can interact with people in a way that focuses on our values with him, but also points them to Christ. It's a twofer. One effort accomplishing two benefits. So we have this powerful example in Jesus. Um, a second thing, oh, I'm sorry, 
I wanted to share this. Bruce Barton write, um, the believers in Colossae had received new life from God through the power of the Holy Spirit. They did not need to struggle and work to attain that life as the false teachers were trying to tell them, they already had new life. What remained was to work out its implications on a daily basis. Because they had been raised, they had a clear responsibility to Christ who had raised them. And now they just work it out. Not working for your salvation, but working out your salvation. The second value that we see in this short passage is a proper perspective. A proper perspective. I love that picture. It's actually outside a construction zone and, and they have this um, like funhouse mirror uh, on the side of the things and people are standing there making themselves look goofy. Some of us don't need help with a mirror to do that, do we? They make themselves look goofy. A proper perspective. Look at verse 3. You are what? Dead. Isn't it interesting that death and life are used in multiple ways in the scripture? Before you know Christ, what are you? Dead. After you know Christ, what are you? What does he say here? dead. So, you're dead, now you're dead. You were alive but dead, now you're dead but alive. It's interesting how the scripture weaves those together, and and at first it feels contradictory, doesn't it? Wait a minute, I'm dead, now I'm dead. What was the benefit of Christ? Because I'm still dead. No, it's different dead. See, before Christ, you're spiritually dead. No life at all. After Christ, after you have been raised with Christ, then you're dead to some of the things of this world. Your values have changed. Uh, Kathy and my daughter Jessica can remember when I used to, well, maybe Jessica can't even remember. Kathy can remember when I used to eat chocolate all the time. I love chocolate. I ate M&Ms every day. We've saved a lot of money since I couldn't eat chocolate. I, I love chocolate cookies. I love chocolate chips. I love chocolate ice cream. I love Wendy's Frosties. Uh, I, there was a restaurant that had a dessert called Death by Chocolate. It was amazing. And then in 1983, I developed a severe allergy to caffeine. And for a while, it was hard to give up chocolate. I, I, now I have no interest in chocolate. I can watch my granddaughters eat chocolate. I can wash it off their lips. I don't even feel like licking them. I, I have no interest in eating the chocolate. <laughs> You're glad to know that, aren't you, Megan? <laughs> what changed? The Lord changed what chocolate did inside my body, what caffeine does. And so I can't have any chocolate. I'm dead to chocolate. Could I eat it? Yeah. Would I die? Maybe. If I didn't, it would seriously hurt. So I am dead to chocolate. That's the kind of dead Paul's writing here. 
you are dead to those things that used to drag you in. I mean, I probably embarrassed Kathy sometimes when we'd go over to somebody's house and they'd have chocolate and I'm like, <laughs> like Garfield with lasagna. And now I'm dead to it. I can give it to other people. We, we give out candy bars in Trek. The kids get a big candy bar. Doesn't bother me. I can hold them. I can hand them out. I, I honestly don't care much for the smell of chocolate. So I, you know, if Kathy's just eating chocolate, I prefer not to kiss her, but that's probably TMI, right? Um, I'm dead to it. Paul said, you're dead to the things of this world. Before Christ, there was a deadness you had no control over. You were spiritually dead. The only possibility of change you had was to receive Jesus Christ and receive spiritual life. Now, you have control over your deadness. You have control over the things you're dead to. We have people in this room who were thieves before they trusted Christ, and now they're dead to that. Don't have any interest in, in stealing. People that were alcoholics don't have any interest in drinking now because of what Christ did in their life. So there's a, a proper perspective. Uh, they were focusing on bodily obedience to earn Christ's favor instead of realizing they're dead in Christ. So gloating and bragging about not doing something like that's what was going on in Colossae Paul said that's nonsense you don't brag about something you're dead to it's just not a factor anymore it's not an issue you don't stand up and say I have gone 33 years without a bite of chocolate nobody cares that's a non-issue what matters is what you're doing for Christ. And so uh, th their value system was upside down. They needed the value system that, that uh, Moses or uh, Moses had. In your bulletin here, see the, the dark spot on one side of your bulletin? There's some scripture. By faith, Moses, when he became of age refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked to the reward. Do you see this? Do you see the value? Moses saw the value. Now, most of the world today, including a lot of Christians today, would say, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. He gave up being a multimillionaire to suffer as a slave? Yes. Why? Because he had respect for the value. He knew that someday when God gives out rewards that are eternal and not temporary, that he'll be really glad he lived for God now. That's the proper perspective that we gain from the word of God, from walking with the Lord. And so we are dead to those things. And when Christ appears, then we're going to be with him in glory. We can't imagine what that will be like. We love to read rags to riches story, you know. Kid born in poverty, worked hard, did well, flourished, prospered, and now he, he lives well. 
when he was when he was a kid they didn't even have a car now he drives a luxury car imagine the rags to riches story when we get to heaven we who were born as sinful people who not only had a sin nature but also chose to sin we who had been enemies with God are now family with God. And we're going to stand in his presence and we're going to rejoice in his glory. And you and I will be face to face with Jesus sharing in his glory. That's way better than anything on earth. That's better than all the riches you could have on earth. In fact, Jesus himself said, your soul is worth more than all the riches of the entire world. And when your soul is right with God in Christ and in his presence, that's going to be glory. So we're content to wait for it now. Yeah, we have to suffer a little. Okay, no big deal. Moses said, I'm going to suffer. It's going to be difficult. But someday, I want to be with him in his glory. We get a proper perspective. A third value that we see from this passage is the process of life change. I don't know whether this is a real picture of a girl and age, or if it's computer-generated aging. But there's a process of life change that the Bible describes that we go through on earth after we receive Christ. Verse 5. Mortify therefore your members. Put to death those things that draw you away from Christ. Uh, fornication, uncleanliness, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, all of those sexual sins you just put away from you. Um, covetousness, which is idolatry. Uh, the American economic system is based on covetousness. All advertising is based on getting you to covet what they have so you will get it. Uh, verse 6. For which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience. In the time which ye also walk sometime. Every one of us could share a story, an illustration of when we had an impure thought or action, of when we had a desire for something that wasn't ours. Every one of us could come up with an illustration of that. But now, in verse 8, now ye also put off all these, anger and wrath and malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. The, this, uh, we live... Uh, I actually think the internet is making public discourse more crude and more obnoxious. Because people will write things without even thinking it through. Pastor Tom, in his lesson yesterday to the young people, was talking about how, or no, it was in the guys' discussion time, uh, Pastor Kester mentioned that the, the way you use the internet is a reflection of your relationship with Jesus Christ. And you can look up things that are bad for you to see. You can write mean and hateful things. And some people do that. Uh, it's, it's staggering to me the things that you see online by people who are supposed to be Christians. And they write hateful, mean things when that's not how Jesus would act. 
Did Jesus withhold the truth? No. But he spoke it in love. There's a difference. And so we put off those things. Verse 9, we lie not to one another. (laughs) So, kids, if you haven't finished making your bed, if your parents make you make your beds, if they don't, shame on them. But if your parents are making you make your beds and you haven't finished it, and, and they say, is your bed made? You're almost done. If you say yes, is that true or a lie? It's a lie. Speaking the truth. Put away lying. You put off the old man with his old deeds. Uh, Yesterday, I carried a bag of trash from the church out to the dumpster up there in Prescott Valley. And somehow the bag leaked. And it just poured all over my jeans. and, And I didn't even realize it at first. And later, it's like my jeans feel stiff and crusty. And oh, gross. Thankfully, I had a change of clothes, and I changed it. I rolled that up real tightly and washed it when I got home. But, uh, but just gross, uh, disgusting. Put off that. That's what he's, the illustration that he uses in verse 9. Put off the old man with his deeds. Put on the new man, which is renewed in the knowledge after the image of him that created him. Put on Jesus Christ. Put on the new man trying to follow Christ. A process of life change. It's a process of directed spiritual self-discipline. So we're moving away from things and we're moving unto things and it's a process that we choose to pursue. Honestly, I'm uncomfortable with people who feel like they have arrived. I once uh, worked in ministry under a pastor who felt like he had all the answers, had everything all figured out, and he could really help you mature if you would just act like him. Listen, I've been a pastor for over 25 years. I don't want you to be like me. I want you to be like Christ. Be the best you that you can be as you follow Christ. And, and there's a process of life change. And some things surprise you. As you get older, you know, maybe in your 40s, you, you feel like you're pretty confident that God's helped you through a lot of things in the past. And, and so you're pretty confident of, you know, things going into the future. And then you, you get a little older and suddenly your health is gone. Well, it, it was easier to trust the Lord when you had great health, wasn't it? Or the financial investments that you made belly up. Or you're priced out of the insurance market. Uh, we, We choose to trust Christ every day. And the amazing thing is, as you go on in life, there's new problems that come up. I actually once heard a pastor say from the pulpit in his church that... God, Satan didn't mess with him as much because he'd been a Christian for a long time and he'd really grown in his relationship with the Lord. So Satan really didn't trouble him much. What, what do you guys think about that? Would that be reasonable? No. Why not? I didn't hear any disputing, but I heard some murmuring there. Listen, if... if God can get the pastor to, or if Satan can get the pastor to fall, a lot of the people are going to get hurt in the process. And that pastor, I think, was mistaken. 
I appreciated his heart. I knew he meant well. But Satan doesn't stop messing with you till you stop breathing. And you are in the process of life change. Every day, you're becoming more like Christ or you're moving a little bit away. You're not just holding your own. You're moving toward him or you're moving away from him. So, the scripture, he's saying, listen, mortify your members. This is an ongoing thing. Uh, put off these things, an ongoing thing. And put on Christ and focus on your growth and maturity in Christ and move toward him. This is a value that will last. See, <clears throat> someday when you get to heaven, nobody's going to come up to you and say, Oh, dude, you had the coolest car on planet Earth. What's going to matter when you get to heaven is how much did you look like Jesus Christ? And the, the goal of life is this. At the end of your life, whenever it comes, could be today, the rapture or even death, could be today, whenever it comes, you're as close to Jesus Christ as you have ever been in your entire life. That's the way you want to go home to heaven. You don't want to go to heaven having drifted away for five years or ten minutes. You want to go to heaven focusing on Christ. One of the coolest stories I ever heard of a guy who died and went to be with the Lord was a friend of mine in Bible school. His uncle was a singer, and his uncle's singing in church. And he's up singing about the Lord, and that day we're going to be with the Lord. And in the middle of a song, he suddenly stops, and he gets this look of joy on his face, and he said, My Lord! And dropped dead of a heart attack right there. I want to go to heaven looking forward to being with Jesus, not surprised. We need the process of life change. One last verse, verse 11. Where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond or free, but Christ is all and in all. This is a prejudice overcome. The Jews were prejudiced against who? Everybody. <laughs> the Jew, Greeks is the way we describe it in the New Testament. The, the devout Jews, the Old Testament structured Jews, were prejudiced against everybody who was non-Jewish. Or even those who were only partially Jewish. In America, we've seen horrible prejudice in the past and last week biases that people have in the church there, there's no business of that some churches have a bias toward those who are wealthy there's no business of that in the church whether you're bond or free whether you're a slave or free you have the same Lord and, and your brothers in Christ and if we have a proper perspective of Jesus Christ that we're going to overcome prejudices that we used to have. How many of you are from the Northeast? Anybody from the Northeast? Maybe, maybe when you were born, there was a, a bias against those who were from the South. There used to be. How many of you are from the South? Did you just get mad when those from the Northeast raised their hand? Hope not. 
We're all brothers and sisters in Christ. And in Christ, it doesn't matter what your background is. It doesn't matter where you came from. What matters is where you're going. Are you going to heaven? Do you know Christ as Savior? Are you becoming more like him in the process of life change to get there? There's an equality in humanity of a desperate need for salvation. Any person, any national, any nationality, we're, we're all the, there's only one race, the human race. We have different nationalities or ethnicities, but we're all the human race. So any person, male or female, young or old, wealthy or poor, uh, there's a desperate need for salvation. There's also an equality of our spiritual opportunity. Anybody can be transformed in Jesus Christ. One of the most mean, hateful, prejudiced people on the planet was the Apostle Paul. And he became a loving, kind, and gracious man. One of the early apostles, John, who was called a son of thunder. John who said, Lord, those guys aren't with us. Should we kill them? John became known as John the Beloved. Every person can trust and follow Christ. And every person can be transformed by the power of Christ through the work of the Holy Spirit of God. We need values of lasting value. Values that will outlast our time on earth. Values that will last forever. Values of lasting value. I want you to bow your heads for just a moment. Close your eyes. I want you to think about these values. Just the few that we've looked at this morning. Are they reflected in your heart? In your life, in your choices, in your finances, on your calendar, in your relationship with Christ, in your relationship with other people. Are you really pursuing godly values? Kathy's going to play through a song while you look in your own heart and life. In just a moment, we're going to sing that song. stand and we're going to sing turn your eyes upon Jesus maybe there's a decision you need to make this morning to trust Christ as your savior or redirect your life if there's a decision you need to make and we can help you in that process show you from scripture partner with you pray with you step out and come forward and let us do that let us help you get closer to Jesus Christ to follow him and if there's not a decision you need to make publicly, then what decision do you need to make privately? What areas of your life need tweaked so that you're moving closer to the Lord? As we sing this chorus, let's really sing it from our heart. Turn your eyes upon Jesus.